Today's show is brought to you by Athletic Greens. And Athletic Greens is a product that maybe the only product, in fact, that I actually literally use every single day. The reason I use it every day is because I care about my diet, I care about my health and wellness, and I have increasingly less and less time to really manage that stuff. So not only is this a fast and easy solution, it's actually the best solution. It's one delicious scoop of powder, you mix it with water, you know that you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all ingredients that support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, all the things that we know diet plays a significant role in. So I've been doing this daily for, I would say at least six months, maybe nine months now. And number one, it just eliminates uh, anxiety from having to think about ticking different boxes for my diet throughout the day. And it's also lifestyle friendly, whoever you are. So whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, it is compatible. It contains less than one gram of sugar. There are no GMOs. It supports better sleep quality. I feel more mental clarity and alertness. And the listener feedback has also been fantastic from those of you who are now using the product. But if you haven't jumped on board, now is the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially headed into cold and flu season. Just one scoop in water every morning, that's it. No need for other pills or supplements, just a one-stop shop. And if you do it at athleticgreens.com surf, you will get a one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and then also five free travel packs with your first purchase. So athleticgreens.com surf. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. athleticgreens.com surf. If Derek Hind has become synonymous with friction-free surfing and Al Byrne with channels, then Greg Weber is who I think of when I think of concave. He didn't invent it, and of course, everyone employs it, but Greg takes it to the extreme, so much so that the rail line on one of his current models practically operates as a fin because 99% of the bottom of the board is concave. But his love of concave isn't just for the bottom of the board. He employs it on the deck as well. Double concave footwells aside the spine of a stringer. But the reality is he isn't pigeonholed as a concave guy because he's also busy doing many other things, big things. He's been in the wave pool game for probably two decades now. He's on the forefront of introducing artificial reefs to natural environments to improve wave quality at your local closeout. But surfboards, they are his bread and butter. Multiple times, he has grown a small local business into a large internationally manufactured and distributed board brand. He's done it in multiple iterations and in multiple decades, and recently with Slater Designs. But now, he's small again, focusing on R&D while supplying local surfers with handmade boards. So I wanted to catch up with Greg to talk about all things Weber. Boards, pools, reefs, and he is on the other side of the world. We miscommunicated about days and times. It took a while to get together, but here I have it for you. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope that you enjoy my conversation with inventor and board builder, Greg Weber. Yeah. 
No worries. And I'm hazy. I drank too much last night, so I'm going to probably be at a more understandable rate because usually Perfect. I go at such a high speed. It's... Well, you know what's funny? I was um, trying to figure out how you do everything that you do. And the last couple of days when we got the time change wrong, you were texting me and I was like, man, he's up at 3 a.m. This guy's a madman. He's up so early. It was just because the time change was Oh, you're thinking it's three and it wasn't. Right, right. Okay. But I can do that. I was up until four a few few days ago. So I've got a very flexible clock in my head. Yeah, good. That doesn't seem to matter. Well, you'd have to be awake more than most people to um, innovate in three different spaces like you do. Um, what's going on? We, we will get into boards, but what's going on on a day-to-day basis with wave Weber pools and Weber reefs? Uh, the, the pools are going well because it's, I mean, it's been a long run with mine, but it's the, on the grounds that it's not an easy thing to do for anyone. Kelly's right. not built a second pool. Um, surf lakes haven't either. And that's quite a number of years between getting proof of concept and, uh, you know, filling your next order. So I don't think COVID's helped, but a lot of these developers are still, you know, they've got money to invest in something that's new. And I think that's offset by the COVID aspect because it's like a, a growing industry that's brand new and exciting and has all of this hype with it which is, you know, creating waves. But uh, around that, obviously, is the, is, is the business minds going, wow, this is a real catalyst, isn't it? This is something that will draw people, dependent on the wave called type, um, broadly. And yeah. ideally, you want that. You want to have a whole range of different types of people. And anyone can say that. We make waves between, uh, you know, for, for the beginner and the expert. But how you do it and how well you supply that and to what degree can you actually have a range of, you know, surfers slash customers in the same pool at the same time? To what degree can you do that? Um, is something that's not talked about. So the phrases sound good. We can make a beginner kind of wave. Okay, but that's a session. So there's a disadvantage with that. These are the things that are a bunch of criteria that the general public can't know yet. And, and the wave pool designers with their shortcomings um, ignore or suppress you know so there's a lot of terminology that relates to what makes a great wave pool that's not really not really out there yet do you think that any of those companies have found a profitable business yet yeah i think wave garden have proven it pretty well it's got a high turnover you know the people are ticking over pretty well yeah and only a small number of disadvantages and, and slight flaws that they've got um I guess I can, well, your question was, is anyone making it work commercially? And I think they are. And there's not much wrong with what they're doing. It gets a bit wobbly. You know, the waves alter a little bit. Uh, you've got to sit in the water for, for the entire time. So down in, uh, at the Tullamarine one in Victoria, the, I heard the water got to 10 degrees. So that's not fun if you've got to sit there. So that these, these are things that can, can have a bearing on the success of the um, the design itself because the design influences how the people go through the, the pool. Yeah. And so um, they're, they're pretty good though. What, so it really, to me, it feels like an arms race 
And there's a number of viable technologies, but ultimately I think one or three, one, two or three will kind of um, see the pool come to life or they maybe already have, figure out the business model that actually makes money in the amount of time before the funding dries up or whatever else. And that mm. could that could possibly saturate the community's desire for wave pools. Do you feel like you're late to the game that you now that you don't have a pool up and running? Or do you feel like maybe this is a good learning way to learn from all of their mistakes that they're sussing out? Yeah, sorry to chop you up at the end of that, David. Um, Totally get the question. And um, I don't think we've learned anything. This is going to sound terrible, but I I can imagine the entire wave pool just like I can imagine a surfboard. And so it's only... uh, that you've got to keep extending on the actual physical design. Oh, I should have got notifications turned off. I forgot, mate. They're not. That, I'm not is hearing them on my end. No, not yeah, at all. No, but it doesn't cause a block to the sound. No, not Nothing. at all. Okay. Um, basically, in answer to that, we're we're late, but I haven't had to learn from anyone else's mistakes because I already understood what our system would be like and i guess the only thing no i'm probably a bit wrong there no i'm not okay <laughs> this is what i told you i'm a bit hazy no um, it's okay the very first patent that we did included a reverse current so i was thinking in advance about what the water flow is going to be like irrespective of whether it's a channel that goes up and back or something that's in a circle or something that's looped, which is two channels with two semicircular ends, which is the model that we're into. Um, I think I knew that there was going to be an issue with the water flow. And so I wanted to counter that with a reverse current. And so that shows that in 2004, without doing anything more than uh, making waves in in the river, I could easily see and, and know that in a closed system, it's only going to tighten up the water flow and, and potentially make problems. So I didn't want to have a current going with the wave. That's right. just flattening it off. It's what we've had when we go to point breaks and the right. super bank and all of these, you know, long sweeping bits of sand or rock, they'll get a current that goes with the wave. And there's nothing too bad about that. But what doesn't happen in nature is a current going in exactly the opposite direction to the waves. Only in a beach break does it do that. You know, when you've got a rip coming out, you know, from shore, the water's got to get back out somewhere. It makes a little gully and it starts to chew out and that becomes that rip. You can have a wave coming in, you know, perpendicular to that straight in into the rip and you, you know what it does to the shape of the wave. It enhances it, hollows it up and all these things. But you don't get it with a, a point break where it's running in one direction all the time, diagonally down a, a coast or a sand spit. So that was an, an early bit of thinking that went into that patent and then on with, with that in mind as i did progress in my understanding of of the design just as you go along on, on you know once you design something it doesn't just sit there most designers keep honing and mm-hmm. rocking around with it and so then i realized that when you make a current sorry when you're making a current from waves there'll be a profile from the wave making side which is where the hull is or the wave making device whatever that is being used there's a tiny bit of current there and then in cross section it's deep and then it comes back up so we're just looking at a cross section of a gradient okay so there's the deep bit here 
not much current there, but then this is where the wave's breaking. It's getting onto the shallow bit and there's a tube there. And so what that means, there's going to be a high velocity current there. Then the right. wave is going to fan off and uh, you know refract as happens in nature and get slower and slower and slower. So that profile is something that you can measure and record, or if you can measure and record it, then you can, it would be pretty good to complete, to reverse that exactly. So don't just make a wall of water into which the current that's made by the wave will run. It's not easy to say this in English. So you're making a current, it's faster in one part of the pool in a linear section. And so you've got to, you've got to copy that in the reverse. And that was part of the second patent that's only just recently come out. So now we've got another 18 years of protection of a really key area, which is controlling the water, but also using it to customize waves. So look, I, to tell the truth, I think I, my system is fucking miles ahead of everyone else's. <laughs> awesome. I've got it, yeah. When do you expect to actually see it uh, built on a full scale? Sometime next year from what the uh, US licensee is saying. They've got multiple pools in, the, in, in different stages of development with all these sites. And um, yeah, they, they're talking pretty seriously about something, if not completed, at least one or two started. Can you say so where the locations are? Um, Orlando, but not. I can't be too accurate about it. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and to tell the truth, but just while we're on the subject, other wave pool makers get in and create drama sometimes. You can be that close to getting something sorted with a certain council, and in will come one of the rivals and and throw a spanner in the works. And there's a range of ways of doing that. So it's like, oh, <laughs> that's normal competitiveness. You know what I mean? So we're yeah. trying to find sites, keep it as confidential as possible, get as far down the track with the council as possible. You know, if zoning changes are required or whatever, get the DA done, check all the, you know, all the reports that are going to be done. There's nothing simple about it, as you can imagine. No. Um, yeah, but once we start, I think it'll be an interesting day because I know we'll make a better tube than anyone's made so far by, by a long shot. Awesome. It'll be a cylinder, like deep, a deep cylinder, not these little tight things. Where everyone's got to get bunched up and point to shore because it's it's sucking them up and over. Yeah. We won't even need to be that shallow. The idea is have a deeper bit of water, but have the reverse current lifting the tube already, running into the tube. So not conical, cylindrical tubes. Got it. How many people yep. can be in the pool at the same time? And are there multiple different types of waves that are breaking in the pool at once? Yeah, yep, for sure. Um, we don't really want a whole lot of people in the main channels all the time. And um, there's no need for it. So that will be two main channels where you've got a queue at either end. So obviously it's going to be looping in one direction for let's say half an hour. And that's about 250 waves an hour for both wow. of those sides, 240. You know, if we've got a 15 second gap. Um, so, the, but the other ends of the pools are, are the beginner end pools. One that is totally controlled, where you actually pushing people onto the wave and they're standing on the on a big oversized SUP for their okay. first wave. That's the controlled end and the other one's more random where you still got people attending to them, surf coaches, let's say. And that would be more random where you've got to learn to paddle out by yourself and they'll push you onto waves and give you some degree of assistance. So, and then next time around you're on a wave in the main channel, but because we can customize those waves completely and not according to session times, one hole comes around the corner Someone rides a 2.25 meter barrel and goes running off and doing whatever. The next person in the queue paddles out to their little spot, which is highlighted with a with a light underneath the, at the bottom, the ideal takeoff point for that wave. 
and it can be a one meter soft wave, nice and gentle and easy. So their transition is seamless. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thanks. Um, let's talk about Weber reefs. Can you explain the concept to the listeners? Okay, well, the Weber reef original design was a, a V-shaped structure, semi-submersible, which means a, a chunk of it's going to be underwater that is designed to make the wave break on that reef. So it's, a, it's like taking a gradient from some great break, put the two together, the advantage being then that this will always point into the direction of the swirl. So as swirl direction changes, it'll change. Now that's okay. a monster, you know, they're gonna be like 500 meters long. And the guys from uh, Griffith University, the Sea Cities group got onto me because of the futuristic aspect of that. And they're looking, you know, their whole you know, agenda and it's giant multidisciplinary group of, of engineers and architects and planners and you know sociologists. They're all looking at how we can move out. Mankind can move out into the oceans and, and into lakes, and without actually reclaiming the land and building gigantic, huge, you know, sand deposits, which is much more invasive, harder to get through environmentally, and twenty to fifty times more costly. So these are like building a tiny little town out there. Not right. really. I mean, you could go out there, dock a little, you know, dock boats. You could be taking the public out and have cafes and restaurants and all that crap on it. So look, it's futuristic. That's the starting bit of Weber Reefs. But then in time, I realized um, when I was looking at a break wall, how simple reflecting a wave is compared to having a huge structure that's got to go out at a nice little slope angle deep into the water and then possibly drop down another X number of meters. So you're not missing the bottom of the swell. Oh, they're, they're, they're monsters, you know, 50 to hundred million dollar structure. It's crazy. Wow. That's like, you know, building a wave pool and the, and the land all combined, you know, the cost. Yeah. So it'll happen, you know, some, at some stage in the future, but um, the V wall is the one that's using the, the V shape again. So it will move and adjust to the swell angle. But it's purely about reflecting a swell. So the swell comes in. So now I'm in plan view looking, looking from above and you'll get a reflection. And then when those two things meet further in, like we've seen with break walls all over the world, you know, the wedge in California, for example, yep. then, then the wave size increases, you get a, a big barrel and it's vastly more exciting than a closeout. Yeah. So that one's cheap. That's the good thing about that. It's way, way cheaper. And is it a permanent structure? Okay, good question. It can, it can be embedded into the sea bed. So the idea is to use water jet techniques, which are established methods for sinking pilings into sand. And the water jet creates a liquefaction with the sand. So basically the sand, well, you know, in the backyard, how many kids, usually boys that do things like this, put a hose into the sand and you get past the roots of the, uh, the grass. And then it's like, oh my God, this thing's just going... You can keep threading it in. Yeah. So what looks like compressed sand becomes liquefied. That allows these plates to drop all the way into the seabed, three meter deep plates that run the entire perimeter of the structure. Then it's it's you can leave it there for an entire season. The, so con the concept is so simple and smart. And I mean, as a surfer, it's like, oh yeah, let's put these all over the place if we could yeah. improve the yeah. wave quality. Um, 
obviously I would think that there's environmental impact resistance. There's people who are gonna resist it from that angle. Are you close at all to actually seeing one of these come to fruition? I'll answer that bit in a second um, because it involves someone that might be partnering with me, someone very big in surfing and um, we're negotiating a deal. And that might get us much closer to getting the first council, for example, to say, yes, we want one of these. And the Gold Coast Council is a prime example of it. But back to the actual key point, the sticking point often with, let's say, building an artificial reef anywhere um, is that you've got to do all the studies to validate your claim that, hey, this is not going to be a big problem. And that's exhaustive and expensive. But when you can say, guess what, we can put it in and uh, do a trial for two weeks. And then if you're not happy, it's a semi-submersible. It's like it's got control over its buoyancy. Yeah. You know, so it can then be, and you also do the liquefaction at the same time, and you use the water inside the voids, inside the entire structure, one, to pin it down to the seabed because you're filling them up. So now that not only is it still, but you've filled, filled the entire upper section, which is above water level, with water. So it's, it's bedded in very, very solidly. But to get it to come out, as you're pumping that out, you're jetting along the edge of the plates. And so they they free up and the buoyancy increases and it just rises up. So within, I'm guessing an hour to an hour and a half, a 150 meter long V wall could be lifted up and then bye. Wow. You, you don't have to have that giant horror. Oh my right. God, we're gonna cause some damage. And the last point I'll make about the environment and environmentalists is that these will create habitat, not just by itself, but by putting specifically designed ceramic tiles, which have been designed by other universities on the entire surface and and notches and interconnected channels that allow even larger things. I mean, even up to the size of a sea urchin. Now, once you do that, then the range of organisms will go through the roof. You've got to make it easy. It's not like a flat sheet of concrete. Right. Then is really viable as, as new habitat. And so multiples then become, you know, when you've got a beach, it's like all over the world, but for surfers, we really notice it. There's the headland there. And then one kilometre or 10 or even 30 kilometres away is the next headland. And there's nothing but closeouts between the two. Right. And people make developments there, but they're not that exciting because right. it's a closeout. And you can have the, the lovely picture on the best day of the year, but everyone moves there to check out their new land and they end up surfing the headlands kilometres away. So who would pay for the reefs and how would they see a return on that investment? I would say the, the biggest projects would be developers wanting to do something like Salt or Cajarina on the east coast of Australia, northern New South Wales, and um, where they're looking at a thousand plot, plots of land and thinking, all right, it's going to cost X to put in the infrastructure to buy it, divide it up, do the roads, the whole thing. And now all we've got to look at is possibly three million dollars for each one of these things Mm. do we make 20 breaks 20 beautiful wedging surf breaks for 30 million dollars and add that to this 100 million dollar or 200 million dollar budget then what it does and i've talked to the guys at deloitte about this and they've said look you'll be looking at a doubling or even tripling of land value if you have multiples of these things all in a row making wedging perfect waves so, be so that, that'll be big. That's owned by them or leased from us. It would be the equivalent of the developer building a tennis court or soccer. Yeah, any, yeah. any sports thing. The only thing is that it's 
not only, not only makes the waves, but it creates a bit of a protection behind yeah. it in the lee of it, obviously. And so you've got a safe swimming zone. That's just by default. I wasn't planning that. That means you could put the flags there. There's less liability for the council because you're actually putting the flags in a, in a more protected, consistently protected zone, you know, in the lee of it. So you've got that. And just as you gradually go sideways, the waves will, will get a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. So people will get to understand the nature of waves a little bit better. But, you know, in effect, making really good waves, that kind of protection of the coastline is another factor and the habitat and the safe swimming. There's, there's a lot of little ticks that yeah. I think will add up to being like, what the fuck, why didn't we do this before? I agree. I love it. I cannot wait to see this come to fruition. I think the biggest hurdle is just going to be the bureaucracy and getting Mm. through all of the red tape. But once you can kind of manage that, I see so much potential and very little downside, actually. Yeah, good. I'm glad you think that. And I think the Gold Coast could be good because they've already built a $20 million reef, a rock reef. And I remember looking at it with Kelly Slater a while ago, as in his little unit at Broadbeach, I think it is, and um, looking out to this wave that's kind of okay, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, it's $20 million, and it's just so dependent on all of the normal factors with swell, whereas yeah. a wedging wall that's a po- that's pointing in the exact right direction because you've placed it at the right angle means yeah. that it's, it's always making some kind of rideable wave, and it's less invasive. It's not as big as this giant chunk of rock. Right. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that that's the kind of council that that pushes things through as well. Yeah, they that would be the type that go, okay, this this is interesting, and it it gets some of the crowd away because all those right. great sections you have these sitting further out, you know, maybe 150 or 200 meters outside the break, and all, all you've got is just crossing over swells going everywhere. It'll be like intense and exciting, like uh, D bar. Yeah, you know, where you just all you're needing is to cross the swells, and all of a sudden it turns into a beautiful wedging barrel. So, yeah, I think it's um, it's going to work it. on that level. I love it. Okay, so moving, let's move on to board building. And I do want to talk about design. But um, before we do, mm-hmm. let's, let's start with um, the business of selling surfboards nowadays. How are you selling boards? Do you work with retail, mainly direct? Um, just straight to customers because I took my focus off making boards for pro surfers and having a big, you know, international distribution network. So I've had that before, obviously, and decades past, you know, with uh, SurfTech, even Salomon, um, who was the other one? God, GSI, Global Surf Industries. Yep. So without that, I'm just basically a nobody. I mean, I've got a reputation. People know that I exist, but they, I don't have the top pro guy and all of the r- retailers with the stock board for the young guy to pick up and look at. And we, um, you've got to so is there less margin this way or more margin? There's much more margin with the, the, the custom, obviously, but um, you don't get a lot of custom if you don't do any wholesale because it's its its own uh, product. The product sells itself. If they're good boards and they're under the arms of people and people are ripping on them, then, then I'll get more custom. But it's I'm leaving that for the time being. I still know that I can pretty much attack all of the, the best shapers in the world. They'll, they'll be annoyed. Me funded will be annoying for those guys because they reckon they've, you know, they're the best shapers in the world. And I think I am. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, uh, and I just want to throw a spanner in the works when I'm funded and, and just get half a dozen of the most incredible surfers and just 
supply them with immaculate craft and, and then then get back into it properly. No point in really trying to do that now. I need yeah. the funding and I've got to get these other projects done first. Right. Um, so if you were as busy as you could want to be, how many boards would you be building, uh, let's say a week or a month? Now, oh, yeah. I don't know. No idea. But I mean, I'd probably get up to the same level as all the other guys which is a few, two or 300 a week. Oh, okay. Wow. So how many people uh, do you have working? Do you have, obviously other people are laminating your boards now or what's your oh, okay. kind of crew? Yeah, like? I'm just talking at the top end though, David. Sure, you know, sure. If, if everything went to plan, that's what I could get up to. Now I'm using the guys, in different people do glassing for me. Okay. All really good, really good guys. One of the best ones is actually has the name Greg Weber. He's, no way. <laughs> <laughs> we, we met in San Clemente, he's an American boy, heavily tattooed from head head to toe. And yeah, yeah, we met in San Clemente through Matt Biolas. And, and I was such a smart ass, I went, whoa, mate, how's the, how's the fucking pain on you, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Which you've never forgotten. And we're great mates. We really like each other's company. And he's a, probably the best epoxy glasser in the world at the moment. But yeah, so I use him and the guys down in Brookvale at Rhino. They're really, really good as well. Got it. The yeah, reason right. the reason why I ask is um, we've seen the board building business kind of expand and contract a lot, certainly just in the last decade. And now with COVID, it seems to be people are expanding again, but growth isn't always good. And you see a lot of missteps when people grow. You're somebody who's had the opportunity to grow in a lot of different ways. So I'm just kind of asking, you know, what led to the decision to go small like you're, you've decided to do? Oh, no decision, just didn't have the energy. That's all. And it's not easy having pro riders. I've, I've had pretty good team riders. Yeah, of course. You know, and they're high profile and everything like that. And they're all pretty, they're quite easy to deal with. If, if you're really consistent and you only change their boards a tiny bit, then they can relax, have a consistent run, but you give them a bit of spark every so often. So they themselves aren't too hard. But once you've got the big machine going and you are, you know, you've got a distributor, a global distributor, then you've got to keep that level up. Otherwise, totally. it'll just slide. So you can't have the distribution and just go on your last year's models. So that you can update and rename things and do little bits of carbon and fancy crap. But um, without having really high-level team riders, it will just slide. And I just didn't have the mental energy yeah. to do that and do the wave pool thing as well, which is a bit pathetic in a way because now I look back on it and if I'd kept it going, somehow probably needed a couple of people helping me as well yeah then then that that would have helped to fund some of the the wave pool costs which are huge because of all the patents yeah so you know we're just running it just accountants and lawyers you know what i mean it's tens of thousands every year for each of them so yeah it's not easy to to do both but i probably should have in hindsight i know that's that's kind of where this conversation started was how do you do everything and and not only do everything, but kind of be on the cutting edge of innovation with each of those things. And the answer might be, I think you just alluded to it, is delegation. Kind of having the ability to let other people handle some of the little details. But I guess mm. to delegate, you need funding. You know, you have to have properly sure. capitalized business to then yeah. give that money to those For people. sure. You couldn't be more right. And I've, been, I've got over 60 shareholders in the company now, so it's public unlisted company, the one that owns the patents okay. at the time. Um, and really, you know, they're all 
investors just going, well, when's this going to happen, Greg? It's not like they're going, is there anything I can do to help? So right. <laughs> sorry, shareholders, lots of whinging, not, not much help. And, and that's just the nature of people being insanely busy themselves. Everyone's got their own shit. Yeah, totally. And there are a very small number of guys that have gone, you know, gone to town to help me, you know, finding other investors and taking over some of the, the workload for me in, in the Waypool side. Um, but the other trouble is, is that it's, it's insanely complex to go from the very starting concept to the patent totally. and then to, then to the engineering of that, that idea, okay, and then working out how, to what degree that might then be involved in events. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. then to what degree does that influence the value of the property? Because you got a patent that allowed you to come up with a concept that influences the customizing of a wave that then influences the actual events to such a degree that the property values go up. Yep. That's, that, that's, I've tried to describe that to people that are smart and they go, oh, it's just uncomfortable because it's somewhere between the, the design they get, the customizing, and then the technology being applied to the engineering, then that being applied to a wave that is now a file. So right. that's a new area. If you can design a wave in an intricate fashion, then you've held it by that file. So digitally, you can basically press a button or a laptop button, and the hole that comes around the corner will do exactly what it's meant to do. So because we've got such a customizable system, just to start with, and then you whack the reverse current into it then there's there's almost unlimited um, range of wave type but that's what to go back to the the thinking type that you've got to have is you've got to go from the basic idea of, of customizing all the way to the property value and somewhere in the middle you've got to have events that actually will eclipse all the other events because a group of people can be at the top of the leaderboard of an event that's running for you know the entire year even and at the same time, in different parts of the world, they'll be getting exactly the same wave and no one's ever seen that wave before. So that gives a spike in viewership online because you can have a builder. Yeah. And, and maybe my company designed this one, but it could be some of the best surfers in the world have never seen this wave. And it, and it could be up to two and a half metres high. Incredible. So then you've got to look at that, you know. To what degree do you try and design a pool that can make a one metre wave to two and a half metre wave in the same body of water. Is that possible? So none of this stuff is easy. No, not at all. Makes uh, building surfboards seem simple, actually. Oh, <laughs> oh. The Digital Vans Triple Crown of Surfing is nearly underway. It returns to the North Shore for four weeks from December 21st through January 21st. And of course, it takes place at the three historic surf venues that you know and love. Men and women's event titles will be handed out at the Vans Hawaiian Pro at Haleiwa, the Vans World Cup of Surfing at Sunset Beach, and the Vans Pipe Masters. And then there will also be awarded a men and women's Vans Triple Crown Overall Series Champion. So you're familiar with the format, and Vans is proud to introduce a partnership with Textured Waves for the Digital Vans Triple Crown of Surfing this year. Textured Waves was created to propagate the culture and sport of women surfing towards women of color and underrepresented demographics through representation of community and sisterly camaraderie. 
The ocean means something different to everyone, and for the women of Textured Waves, it represents a renewed self-acceptance and self-expression that brings them back to their natural state, reconnecting them with the fabric of this earth. It means creating a safe and inviting space for women of all shades riding the waves. It means drawing on all of our shared love to inspire social change. You can learn more at texturedwaves.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop. I'm super excited to finally be able to share Whoop with you. I started working with them and using the Whoop strap almost a year ago. And when they first reached out, I had already seen John John Florence wearing one. Um, I think that he was just starting to really get into cycling at that point. So I'd see him wearing it on his bike. I'd see him wearing it in the water while he was surfing. And when I talked to the team at Whoop, they actually explained that although it is a wearable fitness tracker, it's actually designed around the concept of recovery. So yes, it tracks exertion, but helping understand how your body recovers actually allows you to get more out of your workouts. So we're finally launching this partnership because Whoop just released their all new Whoop 4.0 strap, and it is the most advanced fitness wearable on the market. You wear it on your wrist. It has biometric tracking that tracks skin temp, blood oxygen, and of course heart rate, and much, much more. It is smaller and smarter than previous versions. It's so sleek that it fits under your wetsuit sleeve. Of course, it's waterproof. So the strap itself doesn't actually have a screen. There's no buttons. There's no annoying notifications. It's just constantly collecting your body's data 24-7. And then it connects to the app, which is on your phone, and gives you invaluable insights into the very big picture of your overall health. These vitals are super easy to share with your physician, your coach, your trainer, your PT, whomever. Think of it as a personalized digital fitness and health coach. Our promo code is the word SURF, where you'll save 15% on your membership, and you'll also get that WHOOP 4.0 strap completely free. WHOOP.com, W-H-O-O-P, WHOOP.com, and then use our promo code to both support us and then, of course, save 15% on your membership. The code is the word SURF on WHOOP.com, promo code SURF. Thank you and enjoy. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, 
totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You, uh, you, you talked about working with some of the best athletes in the world in the past. I'm curious who's been the most insightful test pilot that you've worked with in terms of providing feedback for your designs. I mean, second to be between Kelly and, and Adam Robinson. And I think Adam probably gets an edge because he's written more bizarre boards. So okay. if I come up with an idea, and I say, do you want to try this? It's just like an instant yes. Doesn't matter how mucked up the thing is. So he's written a board which is exactly rectangular. I saw that. It's the, got rocker. Yeah, it looked like a, like, a, like a door, door. With, a, with rocker exactly. on it. Yeah. And it was so narrow, too. Sorry? It was narrow, too. Uh, yeah, it had to be, yeah, just because the tail, yeah, the middle had to be narrow and the tail had to be wide relative. So not having that, so I went in an inch and out and in, something like that. So it's like 16 and a half inches wide, maybe a bit more. But he's also written something that I made that had a rail, which was dead sharp. So it's a normal pin nose, pin tails, um, plan shape. But it's at, at, like razor sharp at the bottom from nose okay. to tail. And he right. can surf. So there's a lot of learning you can do. I mean, it's me getting less and less fit as well, because I look at all the experiments that I've done that are in storage sheds. And um, they're all little because I, I, I was lighter and fitter. Right. <laughs> so I've got a new gut and I'm 62. So I can't, I'm going to start testing the finless thing, which I've just started to get into. Um, but yeah, without guys like Kelly, I, I'll tell you where Kelly's great is that if he sees someone else surfing and he saw herring on a banana board in a video a few years ago, but the video is not from 92. And that, that's balls for him to come to me and say, I just watched the surfing of herring and I've got a feeling it's some of the best turns that have ever been done. Wow. And I want to know if it's the board or him. And so I obviously said, yeah, what do you reckon, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Have a look at him on the V-bottoms before and the V-bottoms after, and he's a very good surfer. But what he did on that board on, on, on one surf to this day is probably the best surfing that's ever been done. But Kelly had the balls to say, I'm, I want to I want to explore that. Make me one of those banana things. Okay, so that's what I'll get. And no, no one on the Pro Tour is as experimental as he has been. Right. And he does it during events as well, you know, which is kind of crazy. So let's talk, let's talk about that exact moment because I think that highlights maybe um, kind of a, a more macro theme that I've seen with your boards, which is he draws a lot of attention on that board and actually has some success on the banana when he did a sure. Slater's design on it but it also creates a lot of criticism because it's an extreme design. And then the next event, he doesn't look as good on it or yeah. the consumer buys it and tries it and doesn't surf like Kelly. And so then there's feedback or there's a criticism there that like, Oh, maybe mm. it's only designed for the best surfers. What's your experience dealing with all of that? Yeah. Slightly complicated answer, but um, the main problem with this design is something that nothing else really gets criticized for. And I'll get to that in a second. Okay. If you look at any board that's made, they usually aim towards a certain purpose. Okay. And, and because it's got a narrow 
function like a, a fish, using that as an example, a flat, wide, wide-tailed, low-rocket board, then if it doesn't go in bowling, you know, four to five foot waves, no one's no one's criticizing it. Right. Because it's it's blindingly obvious that it's not designed for that. Now reverse it, design a board that's specifically for bowling four to five foot waves. And if it doesn't go in the crap waves that the fish can go in, then it's 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 a piece of crap. Got it? So the, then you've got to wonder why can't and the average surfer see that it's it's slightly specialized only to the same degree, probably to a lesser degree than a, a flat fish. Because it's you can ride it when there's any energy at all from two to six foot. Okay, and the reason I came up with after all these years is it's the only one that would annoy all the other performance shapers because it's perceived that this is possibly the most high performance board that makes theirs more generic and slightly dull. That right. gets them a bit pissed off. And any writer, journalist, surfer, you know, mate who's a shaper, glass or whatever, they go, man, now those fucking bananas, mate, they push water. Yeah, yeah. You know? Or if it's an American accent, no, man, those things are no good. <laughs> those fucking bananas, they're a piece of shit. That Weber, he, look, he's really creative. You know, I get give, give me the French accent. <laughs> yeah, I just don't speak French, but I'll give you the accent. <laughs> so that's what I worked out, David, that it's it's mainly that because it's happened twice. Now, okay. when, why would Kelly put it into production unless all of his mates in that in that factory wrote it. Lots of other guys of mid-level to, to Kelly level, okay surfers wrote it and went, wow, this thing's nuts. It's not that radical. It's not yeah. a full banana. And they, they're bloody sexy. They go off the top like nothing else. You can you can make stuff that you would never make. They ride tubes better than any other board. Kelly's told me that. Right. He's done stuff inside on his backhand on one of his bananas that he said, you can't do it. You can ride the whitewash and get pulled up and then come back down again. So um, it, it'll be funny because it'll go down in, in history as it already has, as, you know, like this thing that's held up as a potential, you know, blow away vehicle, but it, it dies. It's died twice. So imagine if it has a third run. I think I'll have to actually, you know, promote it in the way that narrows it down to the function that it, and look at a wavefall. What if wavefalls are, happening and yeah. piping barrels and, and people go well that's that's for riding tubes you know it's i'm going to ride a two and a half meter barrel i'm going to have a slender bananary board and take off on a wave that's only one meter and it grows to two and a half meters i'd, I'd like to be one of those things just riding inside and doing turns well you could so be, it'll, it'll get its place one day it could be in weber wave pools riding the, the weber pool. banana you know man that's it <laughs> so um I guess I was going to ask you about the Manta or the Manta 2, just because sure. it's such an extreme design. But is there anything that you're working on that you'd rather discuss if we're going to discuss one of your designs? Uh, that, I'm into that because it's just a nice thing to try and bridge the gap between two completely contrasting surfing approaches. So, okay, you know, which is finned boards and non finned boards. And what is the middle ground? What is bridging the gap? To try and introduce a little bit of grip from zero grip with flat and not quite zero but if you squat down and you really wait you can get an edge okay don't bullshit you guys that's in a way you've missed some of the best bit of surfing which is to use a fin it's right. you know don't, i don't really idealize it and, and i can't i don't enjoy the whole idea of um, deifying the slide 
Okay, cool. I don't either. It's fucking nice, you know, and it's 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 kind of lovely to watch. Oh, that's a bit interesting. But I would love to go from grip to slide. Yeah. And so if I can introduce those little winglet things that drop down on the manta, and as you might have seen from the post, you know, it was probably to that height to begin with, and then I just did a second one at about 15 mils more, just with car carbog. And then, well, you know, shape it back in and then another one, another 15 mils, then you can learn a hell of a lot about what creates grip in relation to, you know, getting on a rail. So I have seen it. It Try, if you can, um, explaining the design of the board for the listener who's only getting the audio version of this. You can start okay. maybe with the plan shape or exactly. the contours or wherever you want. The no, plan shape makes more sense because I experimented with this in a more... Um, gung-ho way originally which is just to make gigantic big concaves that come all the way around to a fin and so these are the experimental ones made 20 to 30 years ago um, that then showed me that there's a fundamental flaw with having those wing tips pointing outwards okay so i knew that before i shaped it but i thought well if you go onto a rail the outside one will be out of the way so i'll put up with the the floor. So to the listener that can't see my hand movements, there's a, imagine a, a six inch concave, but the concave just keeps going around and turn, turns into a wing tip that's like a manta ray uh, wing tip. Got it. And what that does is create more problems than I had imagined. Okay. So what I did then was because they're pointing outwards at the back of the plan shape and obviously the curve at the back of a plan shape, if you were to put your hands on the, on the surfboard, it's aiming outwards and the center of the board is parallel and then the nose is aiming in. So I realized I'll have to make a really tapered one. So the second one points radically towards the nose and it's like a teardrop shape, like a laser zap, a McCoy kind of shape. Then that one went a little bit better. And so then after doing a side cut surfboard 20 or so years ago, which is like the side cut on a snowboard or, or, or a snow ski, I realized, all right, if I use the back section the, you know, the, the tailward part of the side cut and put the wing things on that, on that part of the rail, then now they'll point at least close to parallel or even inwards. And it will now start to function a little bit more like a surfboard. So that's what we did. And it, and it was rideable. The young guy, Harley Walters, actually stands up on it and does okay. a couple of pumps. And you might've seen that on the video. And it's like, there's no way the finless guys are looking like that. Right. They're squatting. They, they're waiting and they've got to keep a really low center of gravity. He just does a couple of pumps as though you wouldn't know if it had fins or not. And then goes into his muck around with slide. Um, so to me, the interesting part about the friction-free surfing is the speed. You know, it's mm. not necessarily the slide portion as much as it is the friction-free portion. So is that concept solving for reducing the friction? Yeah, I don't know. So I'm not sure that they go faster. Right. But if they, I've got to have a look at that. It looks like they are. So my, my, my thought is, if you're not gaining speed and all you're doing with the design is losing control, then what's what, the point? Yeah, yeah. What are you solving for, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's pretty cold, but I get your, your rationale. <laughs> I like, because people would go, hey, man, it doesn't matter as long as they're having fun. Yeah, we got that. But if they're going to claim it, then you can justifiably give it that 
that criticism and saying, if you're not really breaking ground, then don't wank on too much about it. But I think, yeah, I think I'd have to have a look at it, David, and see if they are quicker. They look like they are. There are times when I think it's the unweighting. So I think a fin surfboard actually can go faster than a finless one at the peak of the turn. And then as you unweight, two things happen. You've got the fin drag, which is minimal. It's more the rocker. Okay. The, you know, we've got a lot of curve and, and, and you can't just plane on a flat thing. These finless things are in general quite flat. And so they, they, I don't think they get the initial peak speed of a finned surfboard, but they don't plateau off as much as a finned surfboard. So they sit between the two, the two levels of speed that a finned surfboard has. Yeah. And so I think it's a consistent kind of speed. You know what I mean? It's it's not quite in six gear. And yeah, I'm pretty sure a really good concave with you know three or four fins or even two can plane up high on a wave faster than any finless board because you can't you can't really get that height. And I've I've got video of Adam Robbo just ridiculous speed. Yeah. And that's just on a normal surfboard. I mean, maybe it's nice and cleanly shaped and all that stuff but it's that's phenomenal speed and yeah it's happening all the time with the best surfers in the world and i just i think it just looks like it's faster the finless well yeah and i guess the um with fins you can actually position yourself in the fastest part of the wave a lot more you know um effectively and efficiently but when you look at Derek Hine, let's say at J Bay, you know, on a double overhead wave, the speed that he's getting there feels significantly more than the speed of somebody on a finned surfboard in that one yeah. example. I just don't know if it's possible. It just we'd have to watch the best of Tom Curran at um, J Bay on the yeah. same size and just, all, you know, someone can do an edit and just say, you know, is it quicker than what he's doing? Yeah. I just can't see the fins being as much drag as what he's saying. Right. Uh, what, um, and he being Derek, because he's the one that likes the term friction-free. Right. <laughs> exactly. You're so politically correct. As good of you, David. And he Thank didn't you. Say finless. Like, I just keep saying finless, finless. I, I love him, but we annoy each other, so I don't mind giving him a bit of crap, and I'm sure he gives me crap behind the back. I wouldn't really call his finless either, because those channels are so deep and sharp exactly. on a lot of his. Yeah. But it's like, it's not, it's not an Elia, you know? No. No, you're dead right. And that's why it's kind of farcical in a way to, to kind of um, categorize yourself in a certain way, as you've just highlighted, because you're creating things that are getting close to fins, just like I am with the Manta. So right. maybe don't even worry about it, whether it's got fins or not, and just morph between the two. And that, that should be a theme that, that other designers can explore as well. Yeah. Just to, just to see. And it just teaches the, the designer a hell of a lot as well. Yeah. Because you get to feel it. So I've got to now make big ones. A couple of the guys at one of the factories who are about um, my age, but a bit bigger, said, make a seven-footer okay. of, of, of the most recent one. So not exactly like a Manta, but the next one that I'm doing. And, um, yeah, then, I'll get the, then I can get the feel through and probably right. give Derek a go of it. I'd love to see him riding some of these things where it just doesn't matter what the actual um, category is. Ignore the category. Don't be a purist about anything. Yeah, You know what I mean? I do. And there's heaps of funny creatures in the ocean and they're all got weird shapes and they all seem to work in some way. Some some are fast and look great. And then you've got things like a sunfish, which is like a, a disc with these funny little wing things on the edge, you know. So yeah. there's some hysterical designs came out of the ocean. Totally. Um, let me ask you, how do you feel about the concept of patenting uh, 
surfboard design elements. Some of it, I don't mind if it's like enough of a breakthrough. Then I think it's warranted. And think there are some of the patents, you know, with all due respect to the guy with the carbon rail, that's that's unenforceable. You can't talk about reinforcing a rail with a black uh, reinforcement material as being an inventive step. In other words, it's a known thing when you fiberglass a board that when you do more glass on the rails, it becomes a bit like a half of an I-beam and you've got one on either side and strengthening the rails, that's known by those that are expert in the field. You know, that, that's the terminology they use. It's no inventive step and there's no novelty. It's just the fact that it's black and then they use the word parabolic. So that's just a, a non, you know, an invalid kind of patent, but it works and it scares people off. So back to the, the question, if it's valid to the degree that it's doing something for surfboard design on a global level, let's say, then I think the, the guy should patent it and get something for it. Yeah, I mean, the only reason to patent it would be to earn money off of it, right? Um, probably. Let me just think if there's any other cooler, lovelier way of looking at it. Um, yeah, I think that's okay. Yeah, I mean, people. Start, some people, like, I've made boards for um, Tom Carroll. I may as well name people. And um, and he's borrowed, he's got my curved fins, right, that I, that I developed. And I'm not saying that I did the first curved fins. Okay, and there was turbo fins were part circular, but right. you know part of a circle is not the same as something that they call rectilinear, which is like part of a parabola. Right, and they're, they're hugely different. Yeah, and so then I don't mind if people say, "Hey, I'd love to try out a different plan shape or whatever in that." But he's the kind of guy that just goes to the guy that's making it and just gets him to make his version of it without talking to me. So. Tom, I love you, mate. But that's the kind of thing that I think is uncool. And also with a double concave, I made him an SUP and then he just started putting the double concave into his own boards. It's just, and I remember him saying once, uh, you know, it's just, it's everybody's, you know, you can't hold on to these things, Greg, which is inferring that you're being greedy. And I go, yeah. well, what about your Tom Carroll t-shirt? Is that cool if I start doing Tom fucking Carroll t-shirts and, right. and infer the fact that, um, you know, you might be riding my boards right you know it's just it's just normal that that's your thing it's it just gets abused the patent gets abused all over the world as, as a method for hoarding and so it's got a bad connotation there but sometimes it's totally valid and totally warranted totally um there's a lot of valid validity and value in um open concept as well and learning from one another and kind of developing the thing as quickly as possible Absolutely. so yeah, i see both good. sides well, can I quickly say that there are some shapers that approach me in a really polite way and say, look, it, it, would it be uncool if I just make, for an example, an Electra, which is something that Kelly was riding, and it's got a distinct nose and a stinger and a round tail, and the fins are like two, two inches further forward, all of this stuff, and that's, that's fun. And that's an acknowledgement of me. And guess what? I've even sent files to some guys. Said yeah. you just muck around with that, but just write on the stringer, you know, you know in combo with greg weber or whatever so that it's it's just polite they, you know they might never even sell the thing so i'm right. not wanting a royalty but i don't like the pure ripoff where someone takes something you've done pretends that they've not been influenced by it which happened recently with amanta and then go oh yeah what you can't own everything you know what i mean it's not that it's just just being courteous and say I acknowledge the fact that this guy's excited me enough that I want to get into this as well. Guess what? I'd be thumbs up saying, 
good on you, mate. Stoked that you, you, you're mucking around with this. But when they infer that they didn't copy effectively or they're not even inspired by it and they're doing it all by themselves and pretend that it's one of those things that just happens at the same time, like, you know, in science it sometimes happens. Yeah, It's, it's possible. But I've, I've had a recent one of those guys pop up and it's like, mate, you're a fuckwit. Totally. Um, how often do you surf or ride other shapers' surfboards? Um, I don't surf that often now, but I've had a, a run of surfing probably three or four times a week thanks to someone kind of pushing me to do it. Good. One of the guys from the factory and picking me up and you got to go. Yeah. Well, I get you same time tomorrow, Greg. And I go, oh, fuck. It's like you're swearing, but, you know, when you're just lazy and tired and getting older. Um, but it, that was great. And I was surfing a lot and got back into surfing reasonably well on a, on a big an oversized but loose board and then as for other surfers boards i've ridden so few americ a simon a biolus probably a js and they're all really good shapers you know what i mean so you can tell there are things that are not the same as mine obviously and i yeah they're all great do you find it to be beneficial I just, that's an awkward one because I don't like them as much as mine. <laughs> but uh, you can learn yeah. something, even if you don't like it as much as yours. There could be. I did. You said right. Perfect example. I, I swapped with Kelly once or twice. Once in Japan and once, once in Avalon when I was riding boards that he could ride. So it's decades ago again. But, um, and so I remember. CIs the front then? Run. Say again. So were they CIs that you were riding? Absolutely. Yeah. The Channel okay. Islands. And, um, and I did, you're dead right. I learned something big, which I, I didn't really do anyway, which was make a very soft front rail and have it quickly go to sharp at the back. Okay, so what I realized was you can pump out on the fins and the concave and the and the edges of the tail. Okay, and they, they squirt and grip. Okay, so you're pumping out. And then when I went to get the front rail, you know, I went, oh, there's no pushback from that. It is so soft and doughy that it it's neutral when you're landing, like for flaring out the fins and doing the snazzy stuff but to go into a roundhouse at high speed i went man it's not pushing back at you there's no balance at all between front and back so that got me thinking man there's a lot of action at the tail of the board we've already got heaps going on there i want to get the front rail to actually achieve something and so what i did do decades later yeah was that one of the first in the very first concave i made for kelly the first one that he ordered from me a banana and he gets it and goes, oh, my God, has the meat on the front row, Greg? You know, and I go, yeah, that's how you can stand forward, mate. So he wrote it, didn't quite get it worked out. And then I said, move more forward than what you think you should. The fins are further forward and you've got rail. So I keep the center rail going for like nearly 12 inches further forward. So it's almost like this parallel bit of rail. And okay. it's low, but soft, no edge, but definitely low. So it pushes back at you, which means you're going to create some net result. So if you put your weight onto it, you'll, you'll get a response. And um, yeah, then he went, wow, okay, this is great. And then typical Kelly, love him, but he went off on a tangent. Yep. And said, what about this? What about that? Because he's quite a good designer, right? And yeah. so then, but he's not obviously as aware of boards as what I am. So I've got to be polite because he's 11-time world champ. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and deal with his his little tweaks and changes because he's learning while he's doing it. But then guess what? He, he, after six months of tweaking around, maybe more, maybe a year, he said, oh, I think I didn't go back to the original one that you first did. Can you give me one of them? Have you still got the file? You, you just roll back on your chair then. 
feeling what I felt. And, and there's no way I can say, I told you. Yeah. Because you don't want to be a smart ass. These guys have got a million other things, especially him. He's got so many people at him. So I just took a breath and went, yeah, cool. No worries, I will. Well, the other thing is, ultimately, he's just um, trying to experiment out on the fringes, ultimately mm -hmm. to come back to the center, which I feel like is kind of what a lot of your de designs do as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe, that's... Maybe not fully to the center, but you always experiment yeah. further out on the fringe than you end up landing. Yeah, I think that's great. And that's the general principle that any experimenting designer, surfboard designers especially, will do. And they'll learn something and then they'll, they'll come back a bit because it was too extreme. But what he's also got is the thing that I've got, which is let's just try to make a jump. And so then he'll persevere on the extreme thing for, for longer than most. And then that's what the criticism comes from. Or he should be back on his CIs. You know what I mean? He's experimenting too much. Who are you anyway? Yeah, you know what I mean. Some of these people—it's like you're talking to someone who's one of the most uh, talented people that's ever been in sport. And if he wants to muck around at the expense of a couple of heats, so what? Yeah, you know what I mean. So totally. I feel sorry for someone at his level that can get criticism on on the idiotic level. And hopefully he's thick-skinned enough, and I'm pretty sure he is to not worry about it. But yeah. Do you? Something um regarding some of your kind of extreme designs do you feel that a surfer any of your team riders have really fully actualized or fully expressed your design's potential hmm. yeah in the sense that it, they've been absolutely in sync with that board you mean is that yeah. the kind of thing you're getting at it's like the, the, they became one almost in some which sounds well, groovy you don't yeah, mean that? Maybe, maybe some of that, but more what I'm thinking is I see the design concepts that you're introducing and it's like, holy cow, that's could be incredible. And then you oh, watch okay. a surfer ride it and they're having moments on it, but you're like, uh, you know, Kelly, before he sees the full expression of what you guys were going through, he goes back right. to the beginning rather than seeing okay. it to its ultimate end. You know, does anyone achieve that or has anyone achieved that? I think yeah. it's two bits to that. One is that I actually try to get the thing sorted in my head completely before it's even made. Okay, so I'm imagining one part of the board and I go, that's going to do that. Then I went, oh, that would be good if I did that as well. But there's a trade-off with that. Then I go, all right, if I widen that there, that'll offset for that. Then I'll make that more parallel. It's like a bizarre, any designer does this. And they go, there's pros and cons, but you, you can't really write it down on paper. It just floats around in your head until the thing turns into one unit. And usually that's the finished thing and it's as good as it's going to get. I'm sorry to make it sound like I know what I'm doing, but yeah, I, I can guess at the board and write it. And this is what I did for most of my life. And I started chafing at 10. So who, who in the surfing world start, started chafing at that age? That's yeah, the same age as when I surfed. So I learned to surf and shape at the same age. And so then I just know the shape of what it's going to feel like. And so, um, and I can even see one of my boards from a distance on a wave and go, wow. that's one of mine. And I can't even see the logo. Doesn't wow. matter who the guy is. So um, that's, a, it's a bit of a smarty pants answer. But the second part to it is that um, sometimes someone like Kelly can go off on a tangent and it, it is actually something that I might not have done. And so that's what I like, but it's so rare. It's got to be someone basically at his level 
And I tell you what he's got that almost no one has. He can notice the relationship between plan shape and rocker, which is, remember we we're talking about patents before? Yeah. There's a, geom there's a geometric relationship and I can't talk about it now. Um, and he was the first surfer ever to, to go, there's something weird happening here when the board is on the ground. So I won't really expand on it. And so that's a rarity. The only trouble is he's, he can never catch up on the shaping side. So he's got to acknowledge that. And it's like me, I can never catch up on certain business aspects. Right. You know, there could be some legal things that I might have a gut instinct for, and I'm not bad from the strategic point of view, but the nuts and bolts, not so good. So you, you've got to acknowledge that. And you were talking about delegation before, you know, I know what I could create around each of these designs and it, it, it requires money. Yeah. And, you know, I hope Kelly and I partner up in some way or in a number of ways. Yeah. Because you know, I like his vision as well. So he's he's got that um, open-minded, idealistic kind of point of view, but he's also got his feet on the ground, you know, with the environment. He's, he's not he's not too fragile to say contentious things, you know, like about sharks, you know, chewing people to pieces and maybe we should reduce their numbers you know so he's got balls yeah yeah and any i think he's a visionary as well obviously and then he's also um so well positioned that he can get funding for projects too so yeah it's a that's good partner it's a good partner that's what he that's what he tells me too don't you worry so whenever <laughs> i have say so i'm just going to walk in the door and they're going to listen to me yeah fuck yeah i know <laughs> i've got the um, idea yeah go well hey i was just going to say i i want to honor our one hour kind of time yep obligation here but there's lots more to cover so we should do it again in the near future yeah, yep there's but, no much um, to talk about. where can people get surfboards from you i'll probably just go into my instagram i don't yeah shout, i'm just shout it out advertising we're gonna oh it's greg weber two number two yeah greg weber two yeah it's just cool. the, the the number unreal map but yeah we'll chat again for sure Definitely. And I'll be um, keeping tabs on those designs and the reef and the pool. Looking forward to it. Good man. Right you did your research well, David. Good Thank you. Here. Thank <laughs> you. I've been watching for years. Unreal. All right. Good Thanks, to meet Greg. you. Cheers. Greg Weber, ladies and gentlemen. Weber surfboards, Weber wave pools, Weber reefs are his websites. Of course, you can contact him on Instagram. Uh, I will link to everything on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Greg Weber, I mean, he's been shaping boards for 50 years. He's, he's been around for so long. He's been so influential. And uh, it's long overdue that we actually have this conversation. And we did not cover nearly everything. There's much more to discuss. So we will definitely have future episodes with Greg Weber. Um, he's an opinionated guy. And uh, I would love to just get his opinion on so much of what's happening right now in surf culture, far beyond just design and things that he's accomplished. I think his insights are valuable um, in a lot of different respects. So this is just your introduction to Greg Weber. Look forward to lots more of him. And by the way, if you're in Australia and you can get a board from him, 
I don't have to tell you, you should already be doing that. So track him down, have a conversation with him, tell him you heard him here. All right, and um, man, Christmas is almost upon us. It's crazy how fast these weeks are rolling by. Uh, I don't know, it's probably not just for me. I think it's for everybody, right? Time goes faster the older you get. It's totally insane. Everybody always said that. It is totally insane how accurate and true that is. Anyways, Scott Bass and I are at it. We're on Spit every week. Chas Smith and I are at it. We're on The Grit every week. We just dropped a new episode and uh, a holiday song in that podcast feed as well. So go grab that. That is our gift to you. And uh, I'll be back here on Surf Splendor next week, just before Christmas. And then again, just before the new year and on to 2022. So much happening. All right. I hope you're well. I hope you're getting in the ocean. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor reminding you to go ahead, get in the ocean, share some waves, and as always, shred on.
And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.